Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Eric Hale. So before we get started, I just wanted to give a uh, quick introduction to my co-host today, Sam Biardo from Technology Advisors. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Eric. And um, we've got a, a pretty packed agenda for you guys today. Um, we're going to be having a, a great discussion on uh, several different topic, topics. So first, we'll have a, um, a quick introduction to both uh, myself and um, Sam's company, Technology Advisors. Uh, we'll be looking at um, accelerated digital uh, adoptions, both from a customer and business perspective, and then what the importance of customer relationship management will be in 2021. Then Sam will be presenting some great features to future-proof your CRM in uh, the upcoming year. Uh, so we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, so Sam, I'll turn it over to you to give a, a quick introduction to yourself as well as uh, technology advisors. Sure. Well, the title says it all. Uh, I was a college professor who uh, got got pulled into consulting in the early 90s, uh, was working on primarily sales and marketing driven companies. When CRMs came out, our, we pivoted our company to uh, be a CRM solution provider. We uh, uh, started a integration migration company called Starfish to make it easier for people to integrate their CRMs and migrate from one CRM to another. And uh, while this is all going on, I do a weekly, uh, a monthly podcast with a, a friend of mine from uh, San Francisco and uh, try to work around 60 rounds of golf a year in while doing all that. So um, that's pretty the summary of me. <laughs> Excellent, Sam. That's a lot of rounds. Tell us a little bit about um, technology advisors. Absolutely. We've been uh, doing this for a long time, as I pointed out, 30 about 30 years right now. And we've been uh, with Creatio the moment they came to the United States. We were probably one of your first partners in the U.S. Uh, we realized uh, really quickly how uh, special the product was. We're a tier five partner. Uh, one of the things we do that uh, we believe is a little different is we have a formal customer success program. So after the implementation, we continue to work with our clients to help them do planning and strategy and make sure that we're providing the services they need. Although it's less important today, we, we do have a great training center in Chicago that'll sit 30 people. And uh, when uh, COVID's over, we will probably resume having uh, training classes on administration and development and things like that. Uh, like I said before, we're a migration integration specialist. We provide all our customers five day a week from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. support uh, as part of our uh, customer success program. And really, we focus on being experts in CRM and in best practices. Excellent. Yeah, um, and definitely appreciate the uh, the partnership here, Sam. And I know that uh, you and I have worked on um, a few uh, strategic initiatives, so it's been a very positive experience uh, from my side. So thank you for that. And just as a, a quick introduction to myself, guys, I'm the head of uh, global sales enablement here at Creatio. Uh, so my role is really to kind of align the strategy between our different groups. So from sales to marketing to operations, making sure that our go-to-market strategy is aligned and make sure that we're uh, operating as a, a cohesive unit. Uh, so just by way of Creatio, uh, as a quick introduction, um, we are a global organization. Uh, we have five offices uh, all around the world to help support the thousands of customers that have actually chosen the Creatio uh, platform to meet their business needs. Uh, we have a robust uh, team of partners like Sam 
We have over 700 partners globally that help us extend our reach into 110 different countries. So we do have a, a quite a large presence and um, we do rely on our partners to, to help us get the word out to these other additional areas. The accelerated digital uh, adoption that we're seeing in uh, our, our new reality here. Uh, so we're going to take a look at this in a couple of different, different ways. We're going to look at it from a customer perspective as well as a business perspective. So uh, it's not any uh, mystery that uh, you know, the impact of COVID-19 on customer behavior was very immediate and it was widespread. You know, it, didn't, it, it affected uh, all industries, countries, demographics. Everybody was uh, you know, equally affected by the impact of COVID-19. And what that's done is it's really changed uh, expectations. You know, the expectations have changed in, in terms of priorities that have shifted, you know, really shifted to the health and safety of, you know, both customers and employees. So that's, uh, you know, been a very uh, strong priority shift. Um, and that in turn has changed the consumer decision-making and buying behavior as well. So when we look at some of these statistics, you know, as a result, you know, consumers have become, you know, more thoughtful and selective in their decision-making processes. The shift from, you know, that in-person interaction to more online channels really has created a more digitally uh, savvy consumer um, who have come to expect, you know, effortless interactions from all the vendors that they're working with. So this applies to, you know, all consumers of all ages uh, in different buying types. They've really discovered that online channels uh, make their daily routines, you know, more efficient. And we're, we're seeing that, you know, this behavior is going to, you know, likely stick as well. Uh, so, you know, what we've been kind of forced into accelerating our digital transformation efforts is probably going to uh, stick and be a trend as we move forward. We can take a look at some of these trends. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, 14% of shoppers are making their purchases through social media today. 75% of people using digital channels for the first time indicate that they're going to continue to use them when things return to normal. So, you know, we just noticed this trend as, you know, being accelerated. I think uh, most organizations had a roadmap for this, but, um, you know, because we've been kind of forced into this new reality, we've been forced to accelerate that timeline. And we see that trend continuing when we get back to some semblance of normal. So uh, as we're looking at this recent McKinsey study, uh, we can see that you know, customer behaviors and preferred interactions have changed significantly. And while uh, you know, they continue to shift, the uptick in the use of digital services is going to be here to stay, you know, at least to you know, some degree. 75% uh, of people using digital channels uh, indicate that they're going to continue to use them when things return to normal. Uh, so that's really forced companies to ensure that their digital channels are on par with or better than those of their competitors. Um, so if you're going to succeed in this new environment, um, you have to ensure that your digital strategy is um, you know, going to be robust enough to differentiate you from your competitors. And this is a real indicator that um, you know, the need to be able to adapt to change rapidly is vital uh, to any organization's health, right? Most companies recognized uh, this pre-COVID, as I had mentioned. Um, however, you know they had roadmaps that maybe extended three to five years out in some cases. Well, you know, due to the the pandemic, this has been accelerated, right? 
We've had to make these changes uh, more rapidly, and we've been looking for tools to kind of make that happen. So um, now we're going to uh, take a look at this from a, a different perspective. Let's look at this from you know how businesses have had to adapt to this. So we've seen you know consumer um, uh, buying behaviors and um, expectations changing. Uh, so how do we look at this from a business perspective? You know, so today's uh, you know CEOs and and leaderships uh, of of organizations are really faced with. Uh, some overwhelming challenges, and um, we're really in uncharted waters uh, as we, you know, kind of continue to navigate the impacts of COVID-19 uh, into when and what will be the next normal. Um, you know, organizations really need to identify uh, current behaviors that are going to define their customer experience in the near term uh, as well as long term. And we need to ensure that these opportunities are aligned um, with business strategies and capabilities. Uh, so if we uh, you know, look at some of the statistics that you had mentioned, COVID-19 really sped up those digital transformation efforts. We look at 5.3 years according to this IT portal survey. But we also see this from a business perspective as an opportunity. You know, despite uh, you know, the pandemic, uh, spending on digital transformation um, is actually uh, increasing, uh, and we're we're going to see that increase to 1.3 trillion uh, here in the U.S. according to IDC. Um, and again, taking a look at the way that uh, we have to keep engaged and manage those interactions with our customers are also going to be vital. Um, and uh, we see that organizations are accelerating the way that uh, they remain in contact with their customers. And also um, internally as well. How do we how do we manage remote teams, et cetera? Uh, so when we um, when we look at this, you know, as I had mentioned, uh, you know, companies have accelerated uh, the digitization. I always struggle with that word, Sam. Digitization <laughs> of their customer interactions and, and internal operations. And looking at this statistic, and another um, uh, recent McKinsey report. Uh, executives say that their companies acted 20 to 20 times faster than expected. You know, remote working, for an example, respondents said that um, their companies moved 40 times faster than they thought would be possible before the pandemic. And, you know, when it comes to customer engagement, um, it's not surprising to see, you know, increasing customer demand for online purchasing and services and changing customer needs and expectations as to key indicators where companies have had to accelerate their transformational uh, efforts. And uh, as we look at uh, the top trends for CRM in uh, 2021 and what role CRM uh, you know, is going to play, we look at it you know, as a, a, key, uh, a key couple of uh, areas here. So uh, to stay competitive uh, in this new um, you know, business and economic environment, um, is going to require new strategies and practices. Uh, so executives, um, you know, from multiple, uh, you know, industries are recognizing uh, technology strategic importance as uh, a critical component of their business. Uh, so it's not just uh, a source of cost efficiencies anymore. It's really how are we going to become uh, more viable as an organization? And CRM has become, uh, you know, that one-stop solution that's going to help businesses make uh, better data-driven decisions um, that will help them, you know, whether that's increasing sales, uh, helping them with their efficiencies, um, being able to retain their customers more efficiently, 
um, it's going to be able to help them improve that and ultimately increase their their overall uh, revenue. So if we look at this, um, you know, this first box, we're looking at uh, the global CRM software market uh, is forecasted to grow to 43.5 billion US dollars um, by 2024. So that just gives you um, uh, an idea of how large uh, the market is for CRM and how organizations are looking at CRM uh, to kind of help, uh, you know, streamline all of those um, those processes, right? Being able to acquire customers more efficiently, retain customers uh, more efficiently, and uh, have their operations run uh, more smoothly and more effectively. Uh, so if we look at um, the second statistic here, um, in 2020, we saw um, an increased use of CRM software on mobile devices, right? So uh, if we look at uh, the ability to have that remote workforce and, and being able to uh, access CRM uh, remotely uh, is in, uh, leading to where uh, teams are seeing a 50% um, improved productivity uh, by having access to, uh, to mobile CRM. And then finally, um, you know, statistics um, uh, show that you know, automated uh, enabled self-service uh, is an emerging trend and um, you know, really important within a CRM to help start to build predictive models. So by 2021, AI-powered CRM activities uh, could increase uh, global business revenues by 1.1 trillion, according to IDC. So uh, we see these as huge trends um, for the CRM market uh, coming up into uh, this year. And um, some of the key functionality that uh, you're gonna look for uh, within a CRM, Sam um, is going to uh, describe, you know, what what those uh, those trends are and those uh, capabilities should be um, when looking at uh, the CRM of the future. So, Sam, I'll I'll turn it over to you at this point and um, have you run through the nine things CRM should have in 2021. Thank you, Eric. And um, what's interesting about the nine things is that they're all highly interrelated. So it's you may see one or two come to play by themselves, but the reality is they all uh, uh, build upon each other and and actually take it to the next level. Uh, I've been internally at my office calling it CRM 3.0 because mm -hmm. uh, it is in fact uh, gonna be uh, uh, not your, uh, I guess it would be not, not your older brother's CRM. <laughs> Clearly not your father's CRM. Right. Um, so, uh, First thing is omni-channel communication. We've been talking omni-channel communication for a long time, uh, but you know the reality is is that it's now uh, a fact. I can't tell you how many times someone will reach out to me on, uh, say, LinkedIn through a message, which that conversation will then continue uh, to go to email or go to text messages. And the, the the real point is when when CRM started out, and even until maybe uh, the the invention of a smartphone, we only had three channels. It was email. I'm talking to somebody live, or I'm making a phone. That people weren't texting each other. But now, um, you know, we are seeing a whole a whole set of in, of uh, connections that people are making, uh, text message, mobile, social networks, uh, internal hosted systems like uh, Teams and Yammer and Slack, and then of course chat. 
And the problem with all this is that if I need, if I want that 360 view of the customer, my CRM must be able to handle the, all the communication channels that I'm using. And, uh, you know, we've seen some really smart people come up with, uh, you know, instead of trying to keep them all separate, building a, a, like a communication center where they mash up these different uh, messages, uh, because that's frankly the only way to get the 360 view. So um, omnichannel is number one. And um, number two is AI. And everyone talks about AI. Uh, um, there are two mod there's two approaches to, to AI. There's uh, predictive analytics, which is a math-based modeling. Um, and then there's learning machines, which are signal response uh, based. Uh, uh, and they, they operate completely different. And uh, what's interesting about them is, although they sometimes come to the same results, they take a different path to get there. Um, and so in predictive modeling, there's actually three types. There's predictive, descriptive, and decision. And um, predictive uh, analytics is essentially um, uh, takes a statistical look at your, your information. So it might compare all the opportunities sold one against um, um, customer data, for example, a profile information. And it will then predict things like cross-selling opportunities because it sees a pattern, a, prob a probability matrix in the data. They see that if people have these features, then they're probably going to make, they're, they're probably going to want this product, okay? And, and it tends to find um, um, data patterns we don't normally see uh, because uh, it's, it's crunching on data. We, as humans, are really good at seeing patterns, but when you have so much data coming in, it becomes very difficult. And, and predictive analytics and predictive modeling uh, takes that and helps helps build that out. Um, the uh, second type, and by the way, just so, so uh, one of the things about predictive modeling and all the predictive analytics is that you have to have a lot of data uh, for them to do accurate predictions. So I'll, always keep that in mind. Uh, um, and that is, that is in fact, the, um, the negative about the, the predictive modeling uh, uh, and predictive analytics, uh, because the amount of data has to be, effectively, uh, the number of data items uh, have to be equal to, uh, if you guys remember statistics, degree of freedom. Um, you have to have, for every data item I'm comparing, I need one row of data. And uh, if I do that, I'm flipping a coin. So <laughs> you need to have just a, a ton of data to make these work, but they do work really well. Uh, de descriptive uh, modeling is actually, uh, what it does is it looks at relationships and outcomes. So it, it doesn't necessarily look at the data value, but it looks at the fact that um, for every contact, if it has this type of, uh, uh, this, if it has a, a note record in a particular time frame, some outcome will happen. So for example, I can predict uh, maybe what products preferences people are gonna have based on their age, okay? Um, and that would be relationships between uh, multiple objects in my CRM. Decision models actually, uh, they actually look at the decision-making process, the how, um, how the events have happened uh, to get to an end result 
um, and uh, they then optimize those uh, decisions uh, based on uh, to get a desired outcome. So for example, uh, the example I'm using is drip marketing. You can use decision modeling after you've analyzed your data to look at patterns on pe how people respond to drip marketing campaigns and actually send them highly, stru highly um, uh, structured emails based on what behaviors they're already showing to push them to say a sale outcome, which would be a predictive outcome. So the, the next learning machines, and um, learning machines are um, the other form of AI. So uh, there, there are essentially three types of learning processes. One that uh, calls uh, supervised learning, where you actually uh, give it a rule and a series of outcomes. And, it, and so the idea behind a learning machine is that it gets, uh, it gets a, an input, which they call a signal, and then um, it looks at the it looks for a desired outcome, which is called feedback. Okay, and then it, it tries to prioritize what signals at what point in time create a feedback to get to where I want to go. So imagine uh, building a tree structure of every decision that could be made, and I have only certain ones at the bottom that make my outcome. What I want to do is is force everybody to a tree pattern or a decision process that will um, um, come with the outcome I want it to have. So when you do that with supervised, what you do is you set up a bunch of rules on how it can, how the system can work. You hand it data that will show it a particular outcome, and it's, it then continues to figure out what decisions have to get made in the process to get to that outcome. It essentially prunes the tree based on large amounts of data. And um, um, the, what's great about le uh, learning machines over predictive analytics is I, use, I can use less data to get to similar types of results. So in my example here, um, I can prioritize le which leads to call based on uh, the previous history and success for uh, a lead profile versus uh, getting an actual win. And so what it's actually doing is it's organizing uh, it's it's feeding me up the most probable and promising leads uh, based on past uh, experience. The second form is unsupervised learning. Um, this is where you don't give it any rules and you tell it, how do I get to these results? And it tries multiple permutations. Um, and uh, for example, I could look at the browsing history uh, and determine which customers are likely to buy. That would be an unsupervised learning exercise. And again, uh, with with unsupervised learning, you need a lot a lot more data than supervised, because it is it is essentially making its own rules. Um, and then what has to happen is typically, if you're using this approach, there is a, another module that will come along with it that tries to guide you through the decision process so you can understand, is this a reasonable approach? Because at the end of the day, we're not gonna accept anything uh, from a learning machine unless we understand its um, um, logic in, in choosing that path. And then the other one, the final one is reinforced learning, which is um, effectively what, what they use in drive, driverless cars. And uh, what this is, is for real-time signals. So for example, um, every time you go to Google 
and um, they ask you for a CAPTCHA and they show you a pictures and say, you know, which one of these is a stop sign, right? What you're doing is you're teaching an AI how to find a stop sign because you as a human are giving it a series of, you're, you're creating a, a series of decisions that says, this is what I see as stop signs. Um, that could be right, it could be wrong, uh, but what that does is gets fed into a learning machine that will then learn from us how we identify a stop sign without telling it any any rules about what a stop sign should look like. So, um, so now that you got your AI, up and running. Um, the next, the next thing that I think is really, really critical is low code, no code. And the reason why is it effectively in software development, there's a there's a, a hitch in communications. Typically, you know, you go through a process of of gathering up uh, a set of business requirements that actually become user stories that get drilled down into more detailed user stories that get packaged up into uh, you know sprints. Um, and the reality is, is that for every time we take a concept from a theme to an initiative, to uh, an epic, to a user story, when we go through that process, we introduce uh, error as we turn it over to developers. And it turns out you can quantify that. And it turns out that about 40 to 50% of, of the cost of development is actually misinterpretations of requirements between the development team and uh, the business analysts. And so one of the ways to solve this problem is make the business analyst the development team. Unfortunately, there's some human skills that typically are different between the two, but all of a sudden low code comes in. And what that does is it allows business analysts to develop large pieces of software. And because of the because misinterpretation of requirements not only happen between BAs and developers, but also it happens between the customer and the BA, it allows us to do rapid mock-ups and show those to the customers so we can solidify their thoughts faster. Uh, it allows us to build systems at a much faster pace, which means there's lower cost. And that also implies one thing, that we don't need as many uh, uh, resources. So, you know, low code becomes really important now to accelerate development. And so now we're going to start taking some stuff and putting them together. Um, so the next trend, everyone's been talking about accounts-based marketing. Where account-based marketing really becomes interesting is, is when you start focusing account-based marketing and you try to market at either a company or a micro vertical level. So for example, uh, until recently, we could not, uh, we would not market uh, to uh, a specific industry like um, um, companies who make ball bearings. There just wasn't enough out there uh, to do that. But now if I take an AI, I take all the data I've learned about companies and I use even external sources like data augmentation tools, uh, which we're going to talk about in, as another point later on, and I pull that data together, okay, now I have, I can create a really targeted profile. And if I add that to dynamic content from marketing, what I can do is actually send emails out where the content gets tweaked and changed 
based upon the profile of the person. And that's all being done through the AI. So the AI is telling us what each person wants to see in their targeted marketing. So now you can go and have a, if you're a big company and you sell to the automotive industry, imagine going out and getting a series of names uh, for, for executives at Ford Motors and then sending each of them an email that changes ever so slightly to meet the, ex the AI's ex expectations of what their profiles say. And, and that's really what, what this power is. So you take BBM and marketing and you combine them together and it'll help you find companies that you have your greatest success. And then the APM delivers the dynamic content uh, based upon public information you've taken through your data augmentation tool. Um, you could even create personal landing pages so that um, when the person comes in, they, they fall into a class. Maybe it's these are uh, financial people versus IT people versus uh, business leaders and planners. And so they would get a personalized landing page based on the profile that the AI has developed for them. Um, you're, you're then, you can, your success can be magnified by then prospecting to these folks and having a slightly different message. And I mean, like literally the old days, picking up the phone and calling them uh, because you're working with a much smaller group of people. You're not sending this out to 100,000 people. You're sending it out to 500 people. Um, and, you know, what you can actually do is, is do things like create personalized webinars for companies now. So the combination of these technologies are, are making it real easy to focus back in on marketing to a very small set of companies that have similar needs and allows you to provide very targeted content to make them want to uh, uh, buy your product. And so five is data augmentation. And again, this is, as we just talked about, driven by AI and ABM. And there's the, the things that you can do, first thing everyone needs to do is dedupe their data. It's, it's, I think it's the number one problem. Uh, um, I've read studies that talks about your data starts corrupting at a rate of about 15% a year. So if you haven't like augmented and cleaned up your data, you know, after a few years, uh, essentially you've got about, about a half to a third of your data is garbage. And so, you know, going through a deduplicating process is one thing you can do. Purging old data is another thing you can do. I've seen customers who, you know, have someone who came, called in for a lead 20 years ago and they're still trying to market to them. You know, that's very unrealistic. Also, it's not GDPR compliant, but it's very unrealistic. And so uh, putting together uh, a master data management uh, approach and developing a data cleaning, data purging process is critical. Um, then um, you can uh, augment your data. There are tools out there. Uh, we've been working uh, very successfully with a company called Inside View and uh, they can go through and add uh, uh, hundreds of pieces of missing information about contacts, including phone, not only including phone numbers, but including things like uh, information off their social profiles. Um, and then obviously you can augment by adding new contacts and companies that fit your particular profile. Um, the other thing you can do is you can monitor public sources, like uh, there's a public database for change of address 
provided by uh, actually the North American, both Canadian, U.S., and Mexican. Uh, you can get uh, that information and do automatic updates. If someone uh, is moving their office, wouldn't you want to know about it? And that's the type of information you can get from public sources. And then finally, you can actually use your predictive analytics to figure out which data you you want. You feed that augmented data to your predictive analytics system, and it will find more patterns, uh, cross-sell opportunities, better leads. Is context-sensitive mobile application? So this is something I've been advocating for for about five years, uh, but I think it's I'm seeing it more and more. Um, and that is that um, what's, what's interesting about mobile is that if you're in a field service or you're in a field sales role, or it's the old days when we get to go back and visit the client face-to-face, -face, okay, what you really want your mobile app to do is feed you the information you need, okay? And... Um, and you and it's based on location primarily, but it could also be based on your calendar. And we're starting to see some of this stuff creep into, like you know, uh, Android and iPhones. Their native applications are now getting a little more intelligent. Uh, Cortana is now uh, through uh, uh, Office 365 is now providing. You know, you can turn on a service that'll provide suggestions for things you need to do every day based on email reading. But if you combine, like, uh, again, if you combine AI with location information, you can essentially serve up things that people want to see. So, for example, if I'm visiting a client in a business, maybe I should, maybe when I bring my phone up, it should say, here are all the open cases, here are the unpaid invoices uh, for any other client in this building, but the one you're seeing, you know, here's their issues. And and this goes back to a, a story uh that happened a long time ago. Uh, one of the first CRM major successes was uh, a hair products company. And um, all they did was um, the day before they went to visit, and this was not an AI, so about, this is, was, was just a process. But one of the things they did was they went and got all the issues that were open with a client um, before they went to visit them because when you talk to a, a barber or hairstylist, you get like 15 minutes as a field salesperson. And what they did was they resolved all those things beforehand and able to double their product sales simply by when they walked in there, they weren't talking about issues. They were taught, they were getting all, they were saying all those things are resolved. They were being proactive. Now think of that example of doubling your sales. And now, Add that to your mobile application with location information and AI, and all of a sudden your meetings become a lot more productive and your, your salespeople are not getting ambushed. And that's just a real, real powerful thing, um, combination of features. So now if I have location sensitive information, well, the next, I think this is actually a greenfield, in, in fact, uh, because I don't, there's not a lot of companies uh, doing a good job of this yet. Uh, but field service. Now that we're buying everything through uh, uh, the internet and we're having stuff shipped back to our house and something breaks down, we're no longer um, um, shipping it out necessarily or, or taking it to a store. I know recently I uh, replaced a modem 
and uh, the company who uh, had the uh, I was renting it the, the previous uh, modem from uh, I couldn't just drop it off because all their stores are closed so they had to ship me uh, a box to put it in so I could ship it back um, but we're seeing that if that that now especially there's 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 no way of bringing stuff in so a lot of stuff is now being done in a field service and field service is just a combination of technologies we already have in place. It is essentially case management, scheduling, the notifications. Hey, we're going to be there Tuesday. Hey, we're 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 on our way. Hey, we just arrived at your house. Uh, return material authorizations, RMAs. Uh, oh, you're you're you need this uh, thing on my. Uh, you need a, a a part that I happen to have on my truck, so I need to. Give you a mobile quote and have you do a mobile order. Uh, I need to have, uh, I didn't put it in here, but you probably have truck inventory as well, uh, routing and directions for the people driving uh, the service truck, and then before and after photos. I just had uh, some furniture delivered, and the delivery people took pictures before of the empty spots, and then they put the furniture down and took pictures of the furniture. So that's all part of what we need for field service. And there's more and more people now involved in the field service business. So this becomes a big issue. So eight now is uh, e-commerce support. So if I'm, if I'm now have seen a large portion of my customers buying uh, through uh, the internet, and in fact, the real scary part is they're not talking to salespeople anymore. They're just making purchase decisions on their own. I need to have I need to have an understanding or an integration between my e-commerce solution and my CRM, and I need it for a lot of different reasons. Number one, I need that data to be able to you have my AI do profiling of it. So um, I I need um, the uh, e-commerce solution to be more of a configurator solution than just ordering because they're not talking anymore to the salespeople when they're buying. So um, what's going on is as people do their research, they finally make a decision and they want it now. And so that that's the reason for e-commerce. But um, inside sales also needs to be able to do easy ordering. And what, what I'm finding is a lot of customers are now taking their e-commerce solution and using it internally for their sales team to call. So if someone does call up, they're just doing the same thing a customer would do, um, except uh, um, a slightly different process, but using the same basic e-commerce solution. And if I can connect my e-commerce into my sale, I can do things like track purchases and use my AI to provide upsell opportunities, uh, either while they're in the middle of the purchase price uh, process or afterwards uh, to my inside sales team. Um, and, and the idea right now is because there's people are now using e-commerce, there's less demand for an inside sales team as there was before. And so I think this is a, just a, a big trend. I see people in the future buying services, not just uh, products through e-commerce. And I think this is something that uh, we have to have an in integration into the CRM so that we can use all the CRM tools to maximize our e-commerce sales. And then uh, my uh, last one pulls all of these ideas together and comes up with micro verticals. So if I, if I can target an industry um, from a 
ABM, data augmentation, dynamic content, uh, AI perspective. And I have low code tools. I can now build solutions specifically for those industries that I know I'm gonna have a high success rate. And what we're seeing is our customers don't want um, the, they don't want customizations as much as they want configurations. And so with the, with the idea of low code and the idea of, of um, verticalized micro verticals, we can see customers get new solutions up really, really quickly. It's no longer, it's no longer years and months. It's maybe weeks and days. So, um, the idea is to have highly customized CRM solutions um, because that's what the customer wants to see. Uh, low code obviously makes this uh, very easy for us to do. And the CRM becomes more about turning on and off features to personalize the solution as to do software development. Now, I'm not saying software development's going away. I'm just saying that as you see more and more micro verticals come out, you'll see less and less software verticals. And this goes back to the fact that we have low code and now we're focused more on BAs versus programmers. So those are my uh, nine uh, things we'll, I think we're gonna see uh, really uh, make CRM the CRM 3.0. And now back to Eric. Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Sam. And yeah, I, that, with those points, you can clearly see that that's not your, your big brother's CRM solution anymore. Um, we have to uh, we have to think about CRM beyond tracking transactions and, and building reports. But you know how are we going to create um, you know these better engagements? So um, I, I couldn't agree more with the nine points that you've outlined. And it really is the um, you know the approach that you know here at Creatio we're taking as well. We're trying to create a world where anyone can automate business ideas within minutes. And we think that um, you know there's a couple of uh, key strategies uh, to help you along that path, right? So from uh, Creatio, if we're looking at um, you know how we've we've built our platform, we would we would call our Creatio superpowers uh, in three different pillars. Um, we have a business process management engine that's going to let you allow you to um, you know align your people, your processes, your data. Um, your applications across your entire team and be able to streamline uh, those processes. Uh, to your point, uh, Sam, when we look at um, low code, uh, turning every company into a software company and turning every person in that company into a developer. Um, so low code enables you to uh, have citizen developers on the platform. And again, I, I think to your point, Sam, it's not to, to make developers go away, but it's also to, you know, enable um, that citizen development that will help alleviate some of that strain on traditional development resources. So that way you're recognizing a faster time to market and you're also um, you know, uh, leveraging uh, different skill sets within your organization uh, to, you know, to manage um, you know, major, major changes, minor changes. Um, we'll be able to take care of all of that with a, a low code platform. And then finally, you know, having a, a full unified CRM platform that's going to align your sales, marketing, and service operations. So if we have uh, disparate systems and this is being managed in 
different platforms, uh, you know, that can make it very difficult to align uh, that entire customer journey from, you know, uh, how that lead was generated to the ongoing uh, repeat sales. Um, if we're managing those in different systems and don't have that fully unified CRM process, um, you know, there could be breakdowns. So, you know, we've designed uh, our platform uh, to manage all three of those aspects. Uh, so uh, I'd like to, you know, again, thank Sam. These were tremendous points. And I think that, um, you know, the folks on the call probably, uh, you know, uh, see some of this uh, helping their organizations and being part of their uh, CRM strategy for 2021. Thanks to you for uh, your uh, great insight and um, helping to guide us to, uh, you know, the best practices for, uh, for CRM in 2021. So thank you, everybody, and have a great day. Thank you, Eric.